and welcome to the Dice of Screaming Podcast. Really? Well, that was a little unexpected, but hey, I'm Randy. I'm Mike. And that's a, that was a heck of a growl. I'm kind of impressed. So, <laughs> yeah, this is the Dice of Screaming Podcast. Throaty. If you're here, our apologies. You found this podcast and... <laughs> <laughs> the, the little gaming podcast that couldn't find its pants in the morning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just left the house without them. <laughs> yeah, that's us. The absent-minded professor of gaming podcasts. <laughs> well, yeah. But... I have solved Planck's equation, but really? I have not mastered the art of trousers. So. Mm, that's a big one. <laughs> so, yeah, nice one. Uh... We had a pretty good podcast last week, so uh, thanks for the people that uh, gave some back channel on uh, Twitter of all places. I, I know it was a weird flex, okay? I'm, I'm in touch with that it was a weird flex in that we did all Clint Eastwood. And, I mean, there are so many good Westerns that, like, it, it was emotionally impossible for us to say, like, if we narrowed it to just Clint Eastwood, then, yeah, we could cope with like, okay, let's contain ourselves to just three or four movies. Uh, but there are so many incredibly important Westerns uh, that are like logged into, uh, you know, 20th and 21st century consciousness. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we, there was no way we could cover them all by just doing generic Western. So uh, while I am sorry about the monofocus, I felt like we did pick a series of movies that got our points across about how important this is in terms of trope value and like gaming value and at the table challenge value. Right. Even if you're not playing a Western game, these are yeah. and concepts that you might want to include. Like, you know, Unforgiven is a hard one to really translate directly to gaming material because it's an anti, it takes all the fantasy and glory out of violence. It does. And so a lot of gaming <laughs> adventures, adventure it's gaming like, it's has basically a, the Warhammer fantasy role-playing setting of Westerns. Okay. <laughs> you like Grimdark? Oh, we got Grimdark for you. <laughs> and that crit table sucks. Oh. <laughs> You're not wrong, and I think that that's that's an app. That's where we could leave it uh, sitting right there. There's another couple things that uh, came up in that, and that we wanted to make sure that we were talking about specific facets that in Western movies translate to gaming. And Unforgiven, like as Mike just pointed out, well with the analogy of the Warhammer fantasy, it's the deconstruction. It's kind of hard, but I think even in that deconstruction, there's uh, some good lessons to take and that can be brought from the table. Moments of high drama that don't require a uh, music score. Yeah. It, sometimes when you put a music score in, you're, it, it still hits. Don't get me wrong. I'm not against that. But just like certain scenes in samurai movies where the, the violence is no longer the main emphasis but it is the tension between those moments of living and dying they bring forward with the period of silence between the two antagonists that was very present and just the sound of a wind right nothing else you know uh, that the sound of things touched by the wind 
you know, the, the sense of impermanence, everything can end at any moment. Uh, this incredible intensity mounts. And you're waiting for something like music. You're waiting for a sharp sound. You're you're hungry for it. Right. It, They're trying to creates... bring the music is almost like the Wagnerian Which... opera is trying to swell and bring you and sweep you away with it. This one, you're left on your own. And while the silence can be deafening, I think it's important to say that at the table, you can take moments like that without rolling the dice and let the players hinge waiting for that dice roll to happen. The yeah. longer you can suspend those periods between before the dice are rolled and the outcome is now made clear, that is the tension. So it's a little Zen thing. Didn't want to really go. I've never DM'd a Western game before. Okay. That like just dis full disclosure uh, in terms of like Boot Hill and the others, uh, you know, like seen him, read him, you know, except for a couple there, which I had never even seen. Like I've never had a copy of a couple of those games, but uh, in regular Dungeons and Dragons, uh, I have harvested so many Western tropes right. personally. The, I like I've done it so many times. Uh, you know, like the dusty town beset by bandits. You know, like we're going to homage like Magnificent Seven and thus the Seven Samurai. I have pulled that one out of the hat. Like yeah, you know, with three different gaming groups, it never failed to bring joy every single time. Uh, and by giving it an almost Western air, where the like dusty cowpokes drift into town. Uh, and these people are suffering, uh, and they don't have much to offer, uh, and you, you get to see how bad the bad guys are, and they're coming back. So you've got X amount of time before they return to whip this town into shape and make ready some kind of defense, which you guys will be the spearhead of, and the villagers will be assisting. Yeah, okay, it was a blast. Zero regrets. <laughs> well, you shouldn't have Milk rating 9 of 10 would totally do again. Well, you shouldn't have regrets about doing something like that. Oh, well, I've had some other ideas that were stinkers because it's been a long and colorful career in DMing and playing. And not every concept I've ever grabbed hold of has been a total win. And again, you know, full disclosure, uh, kimono wide open and fluttering. I have picked a few things where it was a cool trope to me at the time. I, I felt like I was going someplace with it, but I did not flesh it out properly. I didn't fit it to the audience <coughs> in a way that was going to work and resonate well. Uh, and they were flubs. So, you know, it's the thing that happens. You go back to the drawing board, you know. Well, you know, we can always look back at uh, Star Wars comics. If you want to go back to the Magnificent Seven where it went to its most absurd length. Back way back when we wrote back 1978, uh, Marvel Comics Star Wars number eight, uh, which was uh, written by Roy Thomas. And I remember him from some of the Savage Sword of Conan. And oh, I remember the name. Yeah, and well, Roy Thomas is much more famous for that. But that's where I first like really. Oh, Roy Thomas is doing all these Conan stories. And, well, yeah, he's been doing a lot of things. And Howard Shaken, who was a, a great illustrator at the time, Red Hot. They did an adaptation of the Magnificent Seven, or eight for Aduba Three, with Han Solo and Chewie getting seven rough mercenaries, including a giant carnivorous green rabbit named Jax. 
J A X X. Yeah, it. <clears throat> and they were fighting Sergei Argonautis and his basket of deplorables called the Cloud Riders. And Magnificent Seven. This went for four issues, and it's crazy, it's bizarre, but yet it still works. And so it just goes to show that no matter how crazy you take it, if you just go to that core of seven desperate mercenaries or uh or even you know, like any different number but like a, a assembled group uh, almost in oceans 11-esque feel uh another example uh, robert Asprin's myth adventures books the myth series sure uh Skeev and oz have to do exactly the same thing mm -hmm. recruit a tiny army with like just a handful of coins they, they barely a lot of bluffing and a whole lot of bluffing. Uh, and oh, they, there'll be great rewards. How much? More than you can imagine. Well, I can imagine quite a lot. Yeah, you've heard that before. But yeah, <laughs> you're going to hear it again here. Uh, You'll get it. And indeed, uh, they, <laughs> uh, they overcome impossible odds with their tiny army. Uh, it's a favored trope. And like we owe it all to, we got to go back to the Seven Samurai for all of them. <laughs> sure. And, you know, I just wanted to bring that little Star Wars thing up because I was just rereading them this week. And, uh, you know, and, and it was like, this is really bad, but Roy Thomas manages to make it halfway believable. And Chaikin's work is, you know, well, hey, it, I, I want to say, like, at that time, I think the best artists, and I'm not trying to dismiss anything being done today. But I think some of the best art was done back in that era. I just, I, I really admire Chagin's pencil work, Carmine and Pianto's work, Kirby's, and a lot of other giants. I mean, yeah, we can always quote Kirby, but Marv Wolfman, Perez, those guys were, you know, they were just awesome. So, yeah, yeah, giants. gosh. And, you know, yeah, and others came after them, and they've been all, you know, comics and illustration are still in very good hands. There's a great, always been a great new crop coming up and the day will come that we do another comic book discussion i mean we did a you know, a cover of some golden age pulp comics of fantasy there are other things out there in the comic realm to discuss that we are, we're going to touch on someday yeah so this uh, safe ramble was kept well in uh in the fences by the fact that we wanted to set out and talk about the influences and that's how far ranging they can be with westerns they are transcendental they are stories told in a different light, in a different era, but they are timeless. Yeah, they have that mythological quality about them uh, that makes people come back to the well again and again. You really want to look at it, Beowulf, or is yeah. you know you strap a sidearm on, onto him and turn Grendel into a ornery um, bunch of hombres in the hills. If you want the O. Henry of Western writing, you you, you got to get into Zane Grey and Louis Labour, you yeah. know. Because uh, if you're looking for those twists and weird endings, trying to stay unpredictable in a genre that was very pulp-driven and oftentimes it was like it uses the exact same tropes over and over again. So trying to find a way inside the tight confines of that genre to have a twist or a flip that made people stop and go, oh, I like what you did there. Yeah, uh, it can be taken to any other genre. So yeah. don't, don't feel confused. Like, ah, well, it's just Westerns. It only applies to a certain point in uh, American culture. No. We're, we're here. I'm here to tell you, like, when I was thinking about it, like, man, I was rereading the original 
Star Wars comics, the collected ones that Dark Horse released. And I was just like, I forgot all about this. This is crazy. Bizarre. A green, giant green rabbit. I mean, and the letters column is just off the wall. People just hated that stuff. And they were like, what is it? Bugs Bunny? And they're like, hey, you know, Chewbacca, you know, <laughs> just saying. I mean, you know, it's Sasquatch, you know, just. It was, that was what I thought. Space Sasquatch. But we all love Chewie, and so why can't you love a big, uh, lovable, goofy green rabbit who isn't a uh, vegetarian? Quest <laughs> <laughs> Twin Blasters, okay? Just saying. But yes, it's a Magnificent Seven. I mean, yeah, all right. at least they didn't name him Cassidy. No, they didn't. I'm going to leave that right there. Okay. I'm not leap, look, walking away from it. I'm, yeah. So anyway, um, we're here to talk about next episode too. So we've got had a lot of fun doing that. One, All as right, you can tell. Astro Gallimancer. Yeah. So let's summon forth the Gallimancer. Bring him forth. He gazes into the dice, and as he gazes into the dice, he has a vision of the future. And in our next episode, we're going to be talking. Whatever happened to gnomes and drow? And there's some upsides and downsides. Like these are things that they've been debated. Um, <clears throat> we've got some thoughts of our own on how to resuscitate these concepts. Like first, there's nothing wrong with gnomes, except that for some reason, everybody like. Well, Fizz Edition has kind of left them on the cutting room floor. Yeah. You can use them. They brought them in other supplements, but they're pretty much ignored. Yeah. And Paisel's going to leave for a variety of reasons, which we'll discuss next week. Yeah. We growl behind them and move on. But here's ways, as Mike said, you can resuscitate, revive, and reinvent them. I'm a big fan of more, not less. Okay. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, the material left on the cutting room floor, you know, like we're going to be talking to some degree at first about the reasons and justifications for things to have been uh, new things to have been added and old things to have been cut away. And then we're going to talk about ways in which to incorporate the old things into your current campaigns in whatever system you happen to be working with and why you should. Because uh, we're clearly like we, we have a stance, which is more is better than less. Mm -hmm. Uh, things that were part of gaming, you know, I, I think they still have a place in it. Uh, how you do it, and if you do it well and thoughtfully, uh, that's up to you. Uh, but <laughs> uh, big fan of More Not Less. So we're going to have a peek at the evolving available types of things that you can play in a couple of the major iterations of Okay. Well, fantasy role-playing games. So I think that we'll tune in next week. We'll see how that goes. But we're also pretty much going to start hitting on time here. We ramble on a little bit at the front for a number of reasons. One of those is network time killers. Because, yeah, there may be a writer strike, but we don't <laughs> have writers. And, you know, <laughs> but we support them. Nonetheless, uh, <clears throat> to keep this from being a chat GT GPT, generated discourse. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Uh, can you imagine typing that in? Uh, we're going to launch right into our topic. And what was the topic for this week? Why, it was nothing more than adjudicating the mind. Yes. The soft stats. 
Yeah, this is this is going to be a very DM centric moment. Okay, this is hot DM tips because well, also for players, it's like that's how you can take those numbers, those dump stats, and translate them into not only ways to be creative and maybe true to your character as well, but also you know don't look at it as a a dump stat is look at it as it this is an opportunity to role play something unique and challenging to you give your character a little bit of a drawback that's fun but also not crippling the ability to help highlight other people who have invested a lot into that those brady types those bards wizards sorcerers and clerics in name of you. Well, let's start with the lighter weight stuff. Let's start with charisma. Okay, sure. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about charisma here before we reach the uh, the uh, break mark. Mm -hmm. and we'll just open up the first of the soft stats. Um, there are specific classes that really call for high charisma. Classically, in older versions, the paladin has always required it, and now, of course, that that you know requirement has been greatly reduced. Uh, it's no longer such an essential. Yeah, yeah, to be a, 17 was a bare minimum. Yeah. You had and that was meant to be kind of a benchmark so that not everybody could be a paladin. Yeah. Uh, that and the lawful good thing, you know, these two things combined to create a character that uh, you would be expected to play in accordance with that, that you should be leader like, heroic, selfless, and good. Uh, that you were supposed to embody virtue. Right. And this and was to limit who got to access all of those nifty powers and to give the DM the ability to nerf it instantly and go, dude, uh, I, I know that you love playing Sir Awesome, but he does not get to punch nuns in the face because they won't like empty out the, the church like uh, donation bowl into, into a bag for him. Uh, so like all of a sudden you're powerless. Like, But I need to have that holy sword. Yeah, your, your, your sword won't work for you now. Like well, I need to have that holy sword, so I got to collect all this money. What are they going to do with it? I'm going to use it to stomp evil. They're just sitting around doing nothing with it, feeding orphans and taking care of widows. <laughs> exactly. What are they going to do, right? Okay, uh, so yeah you, yeah, you missed the point there, the Sir GM. Stomps Evil, because your character is neither lawful nor good. You're neutral greedy at best. Yeah. Long story short, a lot of players... Or a lot of DMs started giving players just the bare minimum, the 17. That, that got pushed aside. And as much as the grog beards go, oh, boy, I was the day when we just made people, if you didn't roll a natural 17 or 18 for your charisma, in that accordance, you just couldn't be a pal. And that's why I didn't find many of them. Thank God they're rare. Yeah, okay. So past that, um, I'm a believer. Which, which is a, a mumble nod explanation of, like that, the eight times I tried to get away with being a, a d bag while playing a paladin, I got shot down, and yep. I'm still super bitter. Uh, yeah, that I, we know we were there too. Come on! But there was an acknowledgement that you had to have an exceptional charisma to be a paladin. It, you were an exceptional person. Your character was an exceptional. Person. And this presents us with the target issue that we were talking about for this very episode, which is the huge gap between what a player is capable of, you know, what, what the individual player's personality is like and what their character is supposed to be capable of. And this throws the DM into the hot spot where you're adjudicating how does this person's actions influence the world around them? How impressed are people by them? And what level of 
like example giving should you expect from the player? I mean, do you set this on autopilot? Well, you have a 17 deck, so people just like you. Or charisma. And or yeah, you have a 17 charisma and people just I mean, like people you. people may like you over the 17 decks you put on a great juggling show, right? Yeah, I know, right? I, I know. Um, but right, charisma is a meta stat. I mean, it <laughs> controls so much, it controls not only how the world perceives your actions, but how your character is perceived by others, primarily NPCs. Player characters are a different sort. Like I have a 17 charisma, so you have to do what I say. Yeah, here's 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 my reaction, but it's a <laughs> little finger. Yeah. yeah. Welcome to a hard lesson about life in a place we call the world. <laughs> Just because you have a stat on a paper doesn't mean my character is impressed. Well, you you should be because other NPCs are. Yeah, that's them. That that's an NPC for you, and your your DM is far more generous. Than I am, <laughs> but yes, you you know, in all aspects, yes, another player character would be more inclined to listen. Maybe not the player, but the character. And so, yeah, games have made some acknowledgement towards that. I think that there's charisma is one of those sets. It's hard to adjudicate because some people, somebody can say, "Well, my character is very charismatic, and everybody will just believe whatever he says." And that's not the case. That's not how this works. No, I, here's like a nice rule of thumb. Uh, a, a general average. Uh, if the player is not in need of any like serious interaction, obviously a character with high charisma who you know, in, at least nominally is... Uh, interacting with locals, like going to markets and things like that. Yeah, they're well-received. Uh, and if they have a certain fame behind them or some like renown and glorious deeds, then certainly also well-received there. Where it becomes a genuine test, uh, and they should be reminded that like the, the affection of a crowd or a general town where they are well-known is one thing. Uh, attempting to extract a serious commitment or a major favor or, you know, some kind of largesse out of another person, that's different. There's a lot of very nice people who think well of someone, but what if that person that they think well of is asking them for a significant personal favor? All of a sudden, that goodwill, although it is still present, mm -hmm. is tested. <laughs> and that's the real world. That is just the way things oftentimes work. No matter how charismatic and well-loved you are, it is sometimes difficult to extract uh, cooperation from people. And the player then faces the actual challenge. Like the, the DM, if you know the player can handle it, ask them to make a you know, at least a nominal case of their own. Make a right. statement. Make a commitment to the process instead of just saying, can I let the dice handle it? If they're the kind of person who can, then I think you really should engage them in an RP situation that allows them to be imaginative, uh, come up with an angle, and work their way into it on their own. Right. But if they're terrible at it, hey. Okay, right, and that's where I that's where we would like to, to drop the anchor on that one is to say, and uh, visit this for a minute is one of the problems with charisma is, is that it can often inversely be role played or overcome bad charisma can be overcome by good role playing if somebody sees that the inverse is well i don't have to put any points in charisma 
because I'm just nominally a good speaker, public speaker, or I have a good way with phrasing. And I will make a good plea to the DM and my character, despite their terrible charisma score, the DM will grant me a bonus. And that's pretty much true if you adhere to that first concept. A lot of rules weasels get by on that. Like, well, yeah, I'm just going to make, you gave i I'll make a stirring case full of excellent points that you must then respect. Uh, I now refer you to the to dice. The, uh, well, I now refer you to the dice and to the uh, Friars Club roasts. Oh, uh, where yeah, some very charismatic people <laughs> uh, tear apart people who are. And there's a lot of you know reasonably PG-rated material there, uh, where the crowd that the player is addressing, you can harvest those jokes. To mock the player uh, because they have a terrible charisma. They're not very persuasive. Like their their character is not very persuasive. And they may have made a great point, and then a handsomer opponent steps up and goes, "I think he's an idiot." And everybody applauds for no reason. Well, it does, charisma is more than comeliness. I mean, D and D's tried to make some difference about it, but yes, personal charisma is not comeliness. They are totally different things. Right, charisma is just not. It's a mixture of things. It's a charm. It's charm. It's yes, there is some sex appeal there, and there is also a physical characteristic. But it is also put together. To quote the legendary Stewie from Family Guy. Mm -hmm. What? I give you comedic gold and I get nothing. The fat man makes a funny and everyone wets themselves. Right, because Just... when you're a total shit, you know, nobody cares. <laughs> exactly. That, <clears throat> it's so hard to gauge the middle ground there. Right, so I've had a player uh, say, well, you've given Sir Stomp Evil a plus four modifier, even though they're not a very good role player, for just stammering through a half conversation of prompts and scripted words that you gave them. So why shouldn't I, who made my own script and didn't stumble through it, be penalized for that? Because your character has an eight charisma smedley and you're not <laughs> fooling anybody here. You're just trying to weasel around how your lack of investiture in charisma would normally hobble your character. You, you try to say something like, can you speak up, sir? I, uh, I fuck you. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Right, well, out. yeah, I, I just, uh, you know, sometimes I just, uh, you know, I, I forgot the seven second delay button. Yeah. These guys, that's how it works. And nobody wants to listen to that guy. And the people who uh, are well put together, at least respectful and reproachful, even if they are insincere at times, you can get away with a lot when no one's looking, as it said. And it's even, you can get away with a lot more when you convince them to look the other way while you pick their pocket. <laughs> And that's the whole catch there, is that charisma is a lot of things. It can be used for good or bad. It depends on how the player char player character wants to use that. And as we start uh, kissing alignment goodbye in Pathfinder, and D&D uh, primarily sets its uh, tone with it still, we're going to have to look at your character's intentions. A lawful good paladin is obviously going to be a lot different in how they approach a problem or a challenge in the social aspect than a chaotic neutral pirate lord with a 17 charisma. Because you can have both characters have the same charisma, but just different outlooks. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Dread Pirate Robert could be downright charming at times, couldn't he? <laughs> a perfect example. <laughs> have you ever considered piracy? 
I feel like you'd make a wonderful Dread Pirate, Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> and as it happens, there's a job opening in that department. I'm thinking, I won't be comfortable wearing Barbados. All right, so, yeah, charisma can be a two-edged sword for both the player and the DM. And adjudication requires a delicate balancing act between rolling the dice and letting the player have input. It should never take away from a player's ability to role play, but it shouldn't totally be taken uh, as a way to avoid role playing either. I think there's Mike makes an excellent point right off the bat there that you should give somebody the opportunity to make their plead their case, make their points heard. Yeah. What is the gist of what you're trying to get across? Exactly, at least a partial explanation, a, a contribution, uh, rather than like, oh no. Like you, you have to get up and perform King Lear in oh, front yeah, of me yeah, yeah, in old English. I, I don't want to hear this this modern English crap. I want I want to hear it like Chaucer heard it. Okay, and if you can't if you can't deliver that, <laughs> then you're doomed. No, no, no. Okay, I, like maybe at a table with eight theater studies graduates, that would be okay. But yeah, give people what give people the ability to do what they can. All right. Well, I think that, uh, I mean, that's all you can really say about charisma. Now, we're going to take a quick break and be right back with the other two stats, which we'll talk about intellect, intelligence, and, and wisdom. wisdom. All right. So stick around. We'll be right back. All right. We're back. So all right, all right. All right, indeed. Hey, so we were just talking about charisma, so you can get hip with that. We're going to launch right into the hard one right away, intellect. Yeah, number two. We might as well we'll we'll save the slightly more humorous and enjoyable one for later. Yeah. Intellect. This is tough. Yeah. Okay. Look, I, you've got so many different types of players, so many different types of people who come to gaming from different places mentally and emotionally. Okay. Uh, it's a melting pot. You you get people from all walks of life who have at least this one thing in common. And they have very differing problem-solving <laughs> skills. Some people, you got, you know, like that that person, like you got the gal who, uh, you know, majored in like celestial mechanics, and you know, works as an astronomer at a university, and loves Sudoku, where like they only give you two numbers to start with. But there are people like that. And it is very hard to challenge. Well, let's them. let's it's kind of so ground tough. it a little bit into the gaming stat. We're but, talking primarily the second, uh, the the second in line stat below strength intelligence. And intelligence is a hard one to differentiate. What's the difference between an eighteen <laughs> intelligence and a fifteen? Well, uh, about a PhD and a master's degree. Uh, yeah. Okay. So you're multilingual in the uh, early editions. You were highly proficient in second edition. Uh, you had a, a deeper variety of skills you could pull from, and then later skill points, and uh, now we're pretty much, I think, this edition doesn't really give you too much for high intelligence. Yeah, uh, and 18 intelligence, uh, you know, like in the ancient world, the, the equivalent is you know, like Aristophanes, you know, I'm preparing a new system of computational notation that will allow people to do uh, complex mathematical equations for the first time in the last 2,000 years. Uh, but primarily it was the domain of magic users. Yeah. And, and you know, yeah, we can uh, apply physics and uh, 
technology and all that to it today. But mathematics, philosophy, and higher learning, as well as literacy, are a proponent of or a component of high intelligence. It was the ability to understand things that weren't necessarily clear. It was intelligence versus wisdom is, is knowing that tomato is a fruit. But oh, to, uh, wisdom <laughs> is knowing that a tomato does not belong in a fruit salad. Yeah. But <laughs> it's called salsa. <laughs> we just found the bard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to finish was, the old meme. Uh, yeah, intelligence is so tough because the player is not synced up with the character sheet okay it's just not a thing that most people expect when they initially come up with a concept and come to the game table their first impulse is like i'm going to create an older ego that is fun to me not i'm going to create a genius level iq being that i then have to somehow you know I have to find a way to project this into the game. That is not what people show up planning, but they find themselves in the position of it. And then, of course, the dungeon master, the humble right. interpreter of events <laughs> in the game world. Uh, well, all right, maybe humble in some people's cases, maybe not ours, but uh, oh. <laughs> it's hard to get humbler. <laughs> but they might be out there. Uh, you find yourself tested as surely as the player is by how do I justify uh, doing this in an exercise that is less about just the mechanics of dice rolling and when what can I challenge my players with safely because if you hit them with insanely hard puzzle challenges and there is nobody like you've got two player characters that have high intelligence but the players are just players and well, the, the the gal you were mentioning that was into astrophysics and uh, Sudoku, <laughs> with two numbers, pardon me, um, is playing the barbarian with yeah. uh, eight intelligence. It, it's like taking a Yeah, vacation. what are they going to do? And they come out. So the idea is, is that the people who are very high at the table on the higher end of, of problem solving help out the people who are not so good at it like me and... You know, you can play a high intelligence character and get away with it because, well, as one of my good friends has always said, if you can't dazzle them with brilliance, baffle them with bullshit, which is, you know, charisma <laughs> plays a high part in that. Yeah, people actually, uh, what is it, to bring up a very specific personal circumstance, I was trying to explain, uh, somebody mistook me, like, it, it has happened before, I've been mistaken for a genius. <clears throat> which, oh, okay, never mind, yes, you are, you are. I, I know you are it's... Actually, I'm, it's, joking, I'm joking. It's ridiculous. I, I know, because uh, I'm not. Um, well, and they we know it. ourselves better than anyone else, and we know truly we're not, but other people can say that. <laughs> but what they were mistaking is, and this touches into the conversation on intelligence, is I explained that, uh, look, what you're seeing is memory. Uh, I have an almost aberrant memory, which it... it it is not normal to have that level of recall. I do not have photographic memory, but I do have near eidetic memory. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very close, and I, I, I test under the average. In problem-solving skills, I'm not really that much higher up than anybody else, okay? In the terms of things that we think of as true intelligence, <clears throat> I don't have that. I cannot sit down at a chalkboard and, you know, I have at last 
finished Planck's equation. It doesn't happen. I just can't do it. But if you want somebody who can learn a thing 25 years ago in a textbook and then parrot it back 25 years later. Uh, Near verbatim, that's you. Yeah, that's me. So uh, there is a difference in the types of functions of intelligence. Well, I think so, that is a part of what we're talking about here. Some games, I think when second edition went into skills and powers, they did that yeah. uh, 2.5. They had a substat for each, three oh, substats right. for they each did. one of the intellects that had, uh, that I think in a way addressed it fairly well. But one of the problems is we're statting something that is very oh, ephemeral. So you can point to strength and stamina. Like how long can you swim? before becoming exhausted. And some people can say, oh, I can swim for two or three hours. Yeah. And some people say, I can't dog paddle for more than uh, 10 minutes before becoming wounded. Okay, that, there's a different mark, but there's also the, a very experienced person who knows the limitations of their body can set a pace that is sustainable for a very long period of time. Yeah, it's not truly based on their overall constitution but also on their expertise in a particular skill set. Uh, it, it becomes a little convoluted to make Right, and even when we put physical stats into this, so statting things perfectly is never going to work. So we have to acknowledge that absurdity right from the get-go. Yeah, it's going to be blurry. And that's where the dice come in, and that's where adjudication from the DM giving modifiers for what, how the, if the player is explaining, like, my character is going to strip off all his heavy equipment and just keep a couple things. Boots tied around my neck and a dagger in my teeth. And I'm going to dog paddle. It might give you a plus two or maybe even a plus four. Where the guy's like, yeah, I'm just going to try to. I'm just going to. I got an 18 strength. I'm wearing full plate. No, Who cares? I could swim in this stuff. <laughs> okay, make a negative check, uh, strength check with negative six. And hey, if they roll well enough. Great, we're all problem solved. Hey, if you're dropping 20s, I'll, I'll let you have a miracle. Okay, at. Critical Some success. Exceptional things happen. Like there was a guy who lost a leg on a deserted island that he was like, he and another guy went to do a, a hike uh, and they got caught in a flash flood and the guy got pinned and the leg was trapped under a rock and, you know, like the rain was coming and like eventually like he did lose the leg. He went back and hiked the place again. Uh, it's amazing that he survived. He was not exceptional. He didn't have like a 18 constitution or anything like that. He was not like right, superhero right. level. He was just a guy who liked to go climbing and hiking, and he survived this incredible thing. Anybody I, can do it. I am reminded of the meme going around right now, uh, the family guy where uh, Brian gets run over by two buses at the same time. <laughs> and uh, the guy with the big chin, what's his name? Oh, Joe? Uh, no, the weird guy. Um, oh, Quagmire. You get, you get Quagmire, yeah, comes out and ties a little bandage around his arm, and he gets up immediately and says, oh, hey, thanks. I feel a lot better now. Thanks for your immediate first aid. Yeah, that class really paid off, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. First aid, medicine check. Yeah, you're back on your feet. You know, negative 15 hit points. You're back on your feet again. I did a first aid check. Well, I, I wanted to. But yeah, th so anything happens. There's an absurdity we live with with rules, which used to be covered in things. But to refocus it back to intellect, this is where I think intellect shows where the dice should pretty much run the show on that if a player is stalling. And the informal, uh, when you give a, a, a Rubik's Cube and say, this is how you have, I'll throw it down the middle of the table. Okay, you guys have two minutes to solve this. 
and everybody looks at them. Are you? You just want to get your ass kicked tonight because I mean, that's how you, you're not leaving this table. Your characters will be able to regress to the next room if, in a game of computerized chess, you defeat IBM's Deep Blue. <laughs> I have I have linked it up. Okay, now. Well, unless you're Gary Kasparov, you're pretty probably much guaranteed to win. But <laughs> nowadays, yeah, playing any chess program on hard, yeah, basically. You know, if you need to go taken down, do that. But yeah, so no, there's I, a there's a point where you say, okay, the true test of intelligence is storing a Rubik's cube and setting a timer and saying two minutes your characters die, the spear of annihilation goes off. Been there. Uh, yeah, that guy was uh, pretty much like everybody just looked at him, are you for reals? And then, of course, he laughed. Everybody make an intelligence check at the end when it came uh, to the time. And yeah, the guys who rolled the lowest, uh, he said, if you get six successes all together, then you've solved the riddle. It was a nice uh, stress inducer, but I think at the end he cleverly knew what he was doing when he did that, and it demonstrated to me that you know there's a certain point where you can put the players on the spot and their characters at the same time. Perfect example uh, that you know, like the fallback is the dice. The ultimate fallback is, of course, the dice. Uh, but creating tension by putting challenges in front of players still has value like I, I love the dice allow us a place to pull mm -hmm. back to but i also <clears throat> not so much in the case of a character's wisdom or their charisma but very much in the case of a character's intelligence i tend to like letting the party collaborate out of game mode where they're, they're not speaking as their characters right they work together as a team this fosters teamwork for all the players but they're funneling the answer through the voice of the intelligent character. Uh, this means that I can allow the group to work together to solve a puzzle mm -hmm. or to work out the pattern of a maze or to break a riddle. Yeah, I, I like putting these things in the game. I, or especially difficult traps. These are terrific parts of gaming and letting them fall to the wayside uh, because we're worried about adjudicating how tough it is to adjudicate a stat uh, would be an absolute travesty. So, yeah. you know, keeping them in, but letting people work together, it's not the character sheets that are bonding at that moment. It's the players at the table. Exactly. This yeah. is like insidious victory on the part of the DM because people are working together. And when they have a conclusion that is satisfactory, they all feel good about it at the same and time. In those faces, this is a social game, and this is a great icebreaker for breaking down barriers that normally people would keep. Some people who feel unsure about voicing their ideas because they're not sure how they're going to be viewed, or they may even have bad ideas, but they add them out there. Hey, even bad ideas help you rule out the improbabilities and reinforces people who think that they're right to come to the table and challenge themselves to explain it to everyone. There are no bad ideas, just bad people. Well, but <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I'm yeah, kidding. That's not, that's not even what really I was going for. But I want to say, like, solving mazes. Yeah. One of the things I like solving mazes recently, what James Lauder said, was he just uses intellect or intellect based skills, or besides just survival or uh, tracking to get through them. And I was like, you know, that's an interesting thing is that every time you make a, uh, a play, uh, the player for their character roll the dice to determine their way through the maze, and depending on what they roll, good or bad, 
success or failure means that they get further lost and rather than an endless series of left, right, straight ahead decisions, uh, just arbitrarily put together and people just get confused, you lose focus, and it doesn't seem to be that way. Uh, a very much fun off the top of the head. I mean, some certain people, I can be proven wrong, obviously, because the internet will show me that way. Uh, here's a picture of a stone. No, it's a rock. No, okay, here's a picture of a rock. No, it's a stone. No matter how you phrase something, somebody's always going to find a way to tell you you were wrong in thinking that. But yeah. having a way to go through a maze with a number of systematic challenges rather than just descriptions of left, right, straight ahead. There is a reason every character I've played in the last, like, 30 years has had a string and a piece of chalk. Mm -hmm. uh, especially the chalk. Until mm. <laughs> the Minotaur comes by and is also putting chalk on there. <laughs> he has an eraser. <laughs> <laughs> but intellect, like Mike said, is that is the insidious trap is that you can actually get people working together to solve an, a, a trap of intellect or a, a puzzle of intellect. And they all come together and work together and they begin to learn so, as socially we adapt to each other's weaknesses and strengths, bowing down naturally to those who appear to be uh, stronger and also accepting to help work around our own weaknesses. Comparing yeah. our weaknesses to their strengths is a good way of gauging an opponent, but also of assessing where you stand in any social relationship and how well you can contribute to it. And by that dynamic, people bond. And it's not a sinister thing, but the insidious part that Mike's talking about is this is how you got them all to start working together. Yeah, like the oppositional role of the DM has been contested for many, many years. Uh, the you know thrust of making alterations to fourth edition to reduce the presence of a DM was like done for a multitude of reasons, but the oppositional nature was one of the facets of it that like people brought up and why they should not have this. Uh, in order to create a situation where the other people are working together towards a common goal, uh, one of the key things was to have someone that they are essentially placed in opposition to, and the DM is that person. Uh, it's kind of like being a scapegoat, except- Well, just like how good leaders or drill instructors make themselves the enemy and yes. get everybody to bind and it's a bond an, together to uh, confront them and It's an beat enemy them. for a good purpose, you yes. know, like to, to encourage another person to achieve tasks that they might not have even thought to undertake had they not been challenged. Uh, and this is all done very soft by comparison at a, at a gaming table with dice rolling and soda pop and beats and what have you. Uh, a lot more laid back and fun. It's a much, not but, to put too much emphasis the core on this, concept but it's, is a, in there. it's a safer space. It's a where people feel comfortable yeah. playing under the guise of an elf or a halfling and kind of exposing some of their weaker natures to one another without having somebody beat them down for it or belittle them. And that's a cool thing. And I think that's great. That's also a subset of charisma. But we're talking about the soft arts here. We're talking about the soft sets. And there's a lot more to it than you think. Which brings us to our last one, which will be wisdom. Now, oh. here's a tricky one for a lot of people because D&D is unique in that it has a wisdom snap. Now, a lot of people have... Something like it. Yeah, willpower, power, um, fortitude, whatever you want to call it, mental fortitude, Elan. mental strength. Yeah, it's got a lot of different names, but it's there, but it's not as present. And you can even, it gets crossed with 
physical stats because endurance is a whole thing. There's mental endurance and there's physical endurance. While you may be gifted with a very strong and powerful body, mental strengths can get you past any shortcomings. I have a very powerful body, but I have a very narrow throat, and I have always had problems keeping myself oxygenated. But willpower has kept me going when I've almost blacked out and I did, pain is just almost ever-present. It's the only thing. Mental fortitude, that willpower can get you through a lot of things where your endurance gives up. However, that said, there are limits to both. And there's a line that's blurry in that, just like we had with intellect. Yeah, and wisdom is so many different things. It's I an mean, experience. Uh, like the, the combination of experiences uh, or mm -hmm. learned enlightenment, like if you have a governing philosophy that uh, has provided you with a background that gives you really sound answers to questions, it almost works like wisdom, even if it isn't holistic, even if it didn't just fall oh, yeah. out of you naturally. Uh, but if you have a way of coping and explaining with the, the world and interacting with it in a way that is healthy, uh, that's that's a kind of wisdom too. Uh, perseverance, uh, <laughs> mental toughness, uh, you know, intestinal fortitude. Uh, yeah, as it's called, intestinal fortitude guts. is just yeah, raw guts, as it's but, called. Wisdom is so many of these things, including common sense, where a uh, perfect example, I loved to bring it. I don't think I've mentioned it in many, many years, uh, like back at the very beginning of the podcast when we were covering the basic stats. Uh, the difference between intelligence and wisdom is Richard Nixon and Edith Bunker. Oh, Richard Nixon, unquestionably brilliant, brilliant, scintillating mind. Absolutely no freaking wisdom to speak of. I mean, just, just like dump statted right there. Edith Bunker. Look, not the sharpest tack in the drawer, but wiser than everybody else in the room and 100% of the time always knew when something was a terrible idea. That's wisdom. Yes. You can't, I mean, you may be a little dated in that, but I think that the perfect analogies exist in that. That you can be as smart as you want, but if you don't have common sense, you seem as dumb as a rock. Yeah. You'll make bad decisions every single time, and more often than not, you won't see it coming until it's too late. Like, <laughs> why did he do that? I don't know. Because you have no common sense. My calculations were perfect. You absolutely excluded the human element in all of this. You you left that completely out of the computation. Everything is based on by purely mathematical circumstances. This should have this event should come to pass. That has nothing to do with the way actual people behave, Sheldon Cooper. Ah, determinism versus free will played out right here on this podcast. Yeah. I, I love it, folks. Yeah. Thank you, Mike, uh, for pointing that out. I, I have always <laughs> warned people with it. There is no such thing as free will apart by the human element. You want to tell me that again? You want to explain to me why this didn't happen if that is uh, supposed to occur? Well, that's just the way it's going to happen. No, it's not. Yeah. That's, you can never count out the human element, which means that... By all accounts, everything is not predetermined, but it's an aspect of chaos. Everything, everywhere, at once. Yeah, don't get me. No, yeah, yeah, everything, everywhere, all at once, which uh, don't get me started on chaos theory. Well, you're right, but yeah. let's put it, let's <laughs> round it into the fact that yeah. wisdom represents the ability to make sense of all that jumbled intellect, information coming at you, and find from your experiences as well as philosophy. Yeah. 
uh, uh, the, the best choice, which is why it is natural for a cleric to have a high wisdom and emphasis on that. That they should be, you know, like mindful of their place in the universe and how to fit into it well and represent the interests of their deity at the same time. Uh, so when it it comes to having a relationship with a like higher power of some kind, wisdom is both historically and in, of course, modern gaming is considered a valuable trait. Well, let's go to the, the person that not to mention mythologically... if you're sworn to a code and there is an and we preassume that there is an actual being who intends to hold you to that code. Uh, an unwise person would not last long in such a system. Exactly. Okay. Let's look at the primarch of wisdom, which legendarily or mythologically, however you want to look at it, Solomon oh, is perfect. seen as the perfect example of wisdom versus intellect. Two people want to have the same thing. And so instead of deciding which one has the more entitlement or the deserved claim to this, he decides to split it perfectly in half. Oh, well, of course. And then he an finds, and knowing that the person that truly deserves it will say, you know, I, I, I don't yeah, do that. Please, please don't. don't hack the baby in half. Right. It's better that they be with someone else than to be chopped to pieces. Uh, that person who bows out, of course, receives the child. But, of course, it's his wisdom that allows him to see through these multi... Both make great... Uh, points. They're both deserved in many ways, one legally and one emphatically. But how does he decide between the human element and the legal element? He is bound as a king to make certain judgments and hold to those laws that he so rightfully should govern. And the other one who appeals to the heart. How does he decide that? Well, wisdom is the key to that. Yeah. Uh Adjudicating it properly for the DM is also a Solomon-like task. It is. I personally question Solomon's wisdom because I'm told he had a very large number of spouses. Well, you know, which well, let's, 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 <laughs> let's let's not delve too far. We're just going with the the, the legend, which I like. I'm into enough trouble with that many ex-lovers, so I can't even imagine what it's like. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. No. Experiential, <laughs> personal experientials aside, could, we can just say that it was and deploy them. <laughs> All right, swaths of bodies and squadrons of lovers. <laughs> Anyhow, oh, man. it's too well, much. From much, too so much. much from the sword pass, but <laughs> but I, yeah, speaking of lack of wisdom, I, <laughs> yeah, there you go. There, there's a lot. Most likely, the intelligence thing. People mistake me for being wise in some respects. And I, I explained to them, like, no, no, it's, it's just that I have one maxim, which is to try not to make the exact same mistake twice. And that by default, having already made almost every mistake you can possibly make, I create the accidental illusion of being wise because there's so many stupid things. Well, I that's do. experience. And that's what the grizzled vet, <laughs> yeah. which is where I want to land exactly. the next point on it. Like one of the archetypes you find in a lot of uh, games is the grizzled vet. You know, he's like not very smart and maybe didn't know a whole lot going into this, but has but learned tactically, but oh, has learned oh. so much through what failure. Why are they grizzled? Because they're scarred up. They've made a lot of bad choices in the past and I managed have, to live through it. I have survived like six campaigns, three of which went belly up halfway across. And then we marched back across the countryside in hostile territory. <laughs> As I'm often reminded in military courses, when one general asked, a uh, sage, 
how should he win this battle that his ancestors fought the sage just casually retorted well i can't tell you how they won but i can tell you to how to avoid losing it as your ancestor once did <laughs> learning history is an important factor to that yeah that being able to yeah you can learn from the lessons from the past because they were failures yeah. oh i thought my illustrious ancestor always won no <laughs> no I, one always wins no if you think that yeah, you're a fool you've been reading the wrong press releases so yeah. there's a lot to learn in failure and failure is how we learn unfortunately it's a painful process but it's a painful world sometimes and yeah. being accorded to that that's a part of wisdom that's gathering that experience together well putting it in with regard to adjudicating wisdom this is much more personal and it goes directly to the player uh, it's one of those things where uh if you have a player who has ostensibly got a high wisdom, uh, personally, I tend to rely more upon the dice and occasionally drop a hint to them, uh, especially if it's a cleric or, or a paladin or somebody in the service of a deity. That's like, okay, you might want to avoid doing this. Yeah, your philosophy or tenets. It's, it's a give and take. You have to participate as the DM because they're not going to be able to do this on their own. Uh, and sometimes that's just the way it is. You, that's one of the toughest ones of the bunch because it is so nebulous luckily unless they're coming up with something outrageously stupid uh it's it doesn't come into play as often as intelligence when you right you would want to kind of charisma. interfere when they're hey i'm going to stop the buzzsaw by throwing my face into the brunt of it and hoping yeah. to dull the blades on my iron-like skull now i have had some low wisdom characters before and like I, I would take time out to think of bad ideas to have in mid game. And then of course, be willing to be talked out of it by the other players right. uh, while insisting the whole time. It is a perfect plan. I, I see no flaw in this. There is no way in which this can possibly go awry. <laughs> Do not ask how I know the word awry. Mm. But yeah, that's one where you take a deficit and make it into role playing. Uh, hook as well as inversely having a low wisdom gives you insights to certain things that other people might not look at because it's called foolish and sometimes fools can have great wisdom so like, watch out for a really high wisdom character at a poker table because that is as dangerous as yeah. the intelligence or the charisma do not underestimate diogenes it. yeah yeah i hate to be cynical about this <laughs> don't want to tell you the wrong thing holds up a big guy behold a cake <laughs> i explained it some other time anyway yeah wisdom is a tough one to adjudicate and for a lot of dms uh, they think that it's hard but they say oh well i depend on the experience of the player to uh, rule it out and i think that's where sometimes dnd gets it right by keeping wisdom around rather than just willpower or the others but I think that's a good enough place to end it, don't you? Or do you yeah, have something I, else you want to? I add? feel like we hit the big we hit the big notes. We did right. All right. So then we'll wrap it up there and land the plane. So until next time, may the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.